New Zealand has long been regarded as an international trailblazer for women's rights, but many of the country's corporate boardrooms remain a firmly male bastion. Figures released this week show fewer than one in ten listed company directors are women, a rate that's improved only marginally in recent years. In this Radio New Zealand Insight programme, business reporter Naomi Mitchell examines what's holding women back from directorships. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Good morning and welcome to all of you uh, and welcome to Genesis Energy's uh, annual public meeting. Uh, my name is Jenny Shipley and I have the privilege of chairing uh, Genesis Energy. Uh, I'm glad Dame Jenny was the first woman to become a New Zealand Prime Minister, but she's one of just a few women to hold a directorship at a New Zealand corporate. In reality, the majority of public meetings in New Zealand sound a little more like this. We'll begin our meeting. This is the 12th annual meeting of shareholders since contact listed. And my name's Grant King, your chairman. And it's great to the be recently holding. released yeah, Census of Women's right. Participation shows that of 622 directorships at the nation's top 100 listed companies, 58 are held by women. That's just under 10%. That figure's improved only marginally in recent years, and the boardrooms at more than half of the companies still have no female directors at all. The Equal Employment Opportunities Commissioner, Judy McGregor, says the corporate sector should be embarrassed by the data, and she warns that New Zealand's international business reputation is at risk by having so few women in the boardroom. I think there's both business case benefits and of course there's just a simple social justice rationale. It's quite peculiar that New Zealand that's been a leader in women's representation in so many areas remains so defiantly obstinate about women in corporate governance. That is quite perplexing and if you look at the international table of 14 countries that we've published in the census report you can quite glaringly see that New Zealand is at the bottom of the heap. Gender balance on boards in the public sector is markedly better. Women hold almost 42% of directorships on government-appointed boards. But that's slipped in recent years and is still more than 8% shy of a government target set in 2008. Pinning down exactly what's causing the imbalance, at least on listed corporate boards, isn't a straightforward process. Nikki Crawford is one of the rare female company directors. She's on a number of boards and, until recently, was the chief executive of the Institute of Directors in New Zealand. Dr Crawford says it's clear female talent is being wasted, but it's hard to determine the exact reason for the gender imbalance. A factor is things such as the need to work part-time because of having and bringing up families and so forth, but that cannot possibly account for the low representation of women. You have to come to the conclusion that there are barriers of other sorts for women to progress. The appointment of uh, directors to boards is, is very traditional. It is very much about networks. It's about who you know. And if you think about it, a lot of particularly listed companies, they don't want to put in people who don't have experience. And the shareholders probably wouldn't be very happy with that either. They want people with experience. And so it does tend to be quite a, a close-knit circle. And, and I think the issue is how you develop new directors, whether they be women or men in order to break into that circle. New Zealand-born Denise Aldous has 40 years of business experience on both sides of the Tasman. Speaking from Sydney, she says the imbalance may be the case of self-interest by other board directors and chairs. 
why would someone sitting comfortably on a top-listed company earning a quarter of a million or more a year, maybe with two or three of those boards, why would they step aside? Why would they want to upset the apple cart? It's very comfortable. So I think you can understand when, if you've got those people having to make the decisions to make their own comfortable existence less comfortable, it's easy to understand why things haven't changed. Women make up more than 20% of the senior managers at the country's top 100 companies. And the Institute of Directors Research and Policy Manager, William Whittaker, doubts there's a shortage of capable women ready to fill director vacancies. Instead, Dr Whittaker thinks there may be a lag between societal changes and people's attitudes towards women's capabilities. We know now that women can do anything. You know, the Ginger Rogers um, analogy is quite good. And Ginger Rogers did everything that Fred Astaire did, but she did it backwards and in high heels. And so women have demonstrated their capability in all, all types of business, you know, even in the hard-edged ones, which have traditionally male-dominated. But, you know, those attitudes don't change, you know, overnight. It's part of a, um, a continuing um, accumulation, really, of awareness and knowledge and experience as to, um, you know, what is um, possible. Roseanne Hardin has been studying what's stopping women entering the boardroom as part of her thesis for a Doctor of Business and Administration at Massey University. Her research into the topic was sparked out of her own frustrations in looking for directorships. Directing is a prestigious occupation and many women aspire to be a director, including myself, uh, and then run up against all sorts of problems and barriers and get very frustrated and I think have unrealistic expectations. Roseanne Hardin studied data from the New Zealand Stock Exchange and others overseas to examine the common link between directors. And instead of a glass ceiling holding back women from the boardroom, she believes it's more like a glass network. I found that director networks have a very specific structure that makes them predictable. And the reason that this structure emerges out of thousands of independent board appointments, so it's a spontaneous form of organisation if you like, is because of the way directors are appointed. It's uh, shoulder tapping, and this is the, the most common way directors are appointed, where chairman who knows someone who's like them, the old boy network, uh, it's a low-risk strategy, and they appoint someone they know and whom they think they can trust. So directors are not appointed through the normal mechanisms of job search, interview, and so forth. The other thing that's also emerged is that the directors like to sit on boards with directors of the same status. So in other words, directors tend to prefer to sit on boards where the directors who've got two or three or four directorships like them. So it's those two mechanisms that results in this particular network structure that we see and also limits women's opportunities. Denise Aldous is now a company director and a chair on a variety of committees including Kia Australia, the Cronulla Sharks Football Club and the Enterprise Challenge Fund. But she experienced the effect of tight-knit networks firsthand when she tried to enter the boardroom. The issue is that I found for me is not my lack of credentials. It's the fact that I didn't go to school with X. I'm not known to Y. You really have to be known by someone. 
And no matter how much you hear about, look, get your name on databases and, and all this sort of stuff, in the end, when it gets down to a couple of candidates at the board level and the, the rest of the directors are looking at them and they'll say, oh, look, we know John or Mary, I wish it was Mary more often, but John, because, yeah, he's a friend of my next-door neighbour, you can almost guarantee it's going to be that person that gets picked. And I've actually had chairmen tell me it, that that's what happens. Denise Aldis warns change will take a long time unless board chairs are prepared to think outside the box when bringing new talent to the boardroom. The Institute of Directors' William Whitaker agrees that the way boards appoint directors could be holding women back. Dr Whitaker says boards should be filling a vacancy using a recruitment process akin to those used to find senior managers. The director community, for various reasons, is perceived in some quarters as being male-dominated, as being a relic, really, of the old boys' network, the old club environment where shoulder tapping you know, goes on. Informal methods of um, director recruitment are, are employed. So if we were to pursue um, best practice to its logical um, conclusion, then we would argue that any board in terms of um, filling a vacancy should follow a robust, rigorous, defensible process which is based on assessment of those required skills leading to the appointment of the ideal candidate. The recruitment company Sheffield estimates that about 15% of board director vacancies are now filled using job agencies. And its director, Ian Taylor, says the practice is catching on. There's greater accountability now being called for from a range of stakeholders. There's, There's greater scrutiny of board processes, more so than ever before, whether their board processes in action or they're to do with how remuneration is set or or how appointment processes uh, take place. So we would expect it from that point of view, and we would expect um, more formal processes to take place because this sort of process does actually result in a a more high-quality outcome. And in the end, high-quality governance uh, in this country will be extremely important in, one, delivering accountability, but two, delivering a better commercial result to to shareholders at large. A recent study from Australia's Women's Leadership Research Centre, the Raby Institute, may provide the financial incentive to boost diversity on boards. It examined the financial performance of 500 listed companies in Australia over a three- to five-year period. It found that firms with women directors delivered an 11% higher return on equity than companies with all-male boards. But Roseanne Hardin suggests taking a closer look at the data. We do know, for example, that bigger companies have larger boards and larger boards tend to have more women. And this ties into the fact that larger companies tend to be more successful, in other words, have a better financial performance. So this is giving rise to this perception that if you have more women on the board, you get better board performance. Now, all the feminists are sincerely hoping that this is the case, but I think research is showing that board gender is possibly correlational, not causal. So to say that having more women on the board will result in better, uh, greater profit for the company, you would need to control for company size. Leslie Kennedy is the chief executive of Maven International, 
a Wellington-based strategic and operational consultancy working predominantly in the public sector. She says there's a range of evidence to show women and men approach things differently, so boards will take a more balanced approach if they are made up of both sexes. But Mrs Kennedy says board directors, regardless of their gender, must have the right skills, attributes and experience in the first place. There is no way you can just come out of you know, college or university and take a five-day course on how to be a director and be a successful and valuable director. You have to have done the hard yards. You have to have been commercial or been in a public entity of some sort. You have to have made your mistakes. You, you have to have worked your way up. It, there is no, no shortcut. Leslie Kennedy believes there should be a greater focus on developing the pipeline of potential directors. That's the route from senior management to governance. She runs an invitation-only network designed to help professionals of both genders overcome the barriers to the boardroom. Women in particular uh, perhaps suffer from being out of the loop, you know, usually for family reasons. So their careers are interrupted, um, you know, if they, they choose to have a family and they get taken out of the professional business network for a period of time. So when you come back into work, it's actually all about re-establishing again. So you, you're kind of at a bit of a disadvantage there. Also, I think this happens to younger people and directors, they haven't had the time in the business world to actually build up a really strong network. So there's some really good, talented young CEOs, uh, young directors of companies coming through. And what we've, uh, we've as a group, there's about three or four of us who've set up a, a group that is about building a network for emerging directors that gives the opportunity for talented individuals who are running their own companies and these are not one or two man bands they're reasonable sized companies to actually get together regularly to network to actually start building that knowledge base and that network base and we invite speakers along we talk about issues facing emerging directors and also young boards. Here are some of the women candidates who are registered with our service um, one of them was the chief executive of a large Australasian retail company. Uh, it had a turnover of $260 million, and she's now on the board of a major SOE. Pamela Cohen is the director of the Ministry of Women's Affairs nomination service. The database has the names of 3,000 women with the skills and experience to sit as directors or nominees on a variety of public and private boards. Ms Cohen says just a small percentage of the candidates would have the skills necessary to sit on the board of a publicly listed company, but the list is growing. We do find that with the changes in Australia and the increase of women on company boards in Australia that there is increasing interest here in New Zealand, um, but there doesn't seem to be a great deal of awareness of the pool of women available. The New Zealand Shareholders Association used the nomination service to find potential candidates to fill vacancies on its board earlier this year. The association's chairperson, John Hawkins, says the candidates were so strong it appointed three female directors to its previously all-male board. Mr Hawkins says the association needs to walk the talk, given its campaigning for improving diversity on all company boards. There is a common expression that's used to describe a lot of New Zealand boards, which is pale, male and stale. I think the first two are self-explanatory, but the third one is really the fact that we have an ageing group of directors, by and large, and we need to see some younger people coming through. 
John Hawkins says shareholders also want to see that the boards of the companies they're investing in reflect the nature of the business. It makes no sense if somebody makes, for example, washing machines, which, dare I admit it, is a mere male. The reality is a lot of women actually do the washing in the household. They should have some input. They, they use the things. There are many things which, despite the fact we supposedly have equality, we all know deep down that it's not quite equal. So has the time come for a big stick approach? Experienced company director Denise Aldous thinks so. She's frustrated at the lack of progress. 26 years ago I started on equal opportunity in banking in New Zealand and I think the, the thing that really bugs me is that 26 years later I'm still doing exactly the same thing except instead of looking at it with women coming up through management it's now women on at board level. Um, my personal view is that it's impossible to do this, leaving them to their own devices. In the last decade, a handful of European and Scandinavian countries have introduced quotas to boost gender parity in the boardroom. 44% of Norway's top company directors are female, in Sweden it's 22% and in Spain it's 20%. The UK hasn't introduced such measures, but at least 12% of its directors are female. New Zealand-born Penny DeVolk is the chief executive of the Institute of Leadership and Management in London. She says the UK's rate is unacceptable, but there's a limited appetite for quotas. What it does do is make chairs accountable for, um, for what's around the table. It's a pity that it has to be so draconian. But what we do see emerging where, that, where they have occurred, in Norway and Spain in particular, um, where they started from a much lower starting point than the UK, they are really catching up. So they do work. Director Nikki Crawford is also personally against the idea of quotas, but admits the time for them is fast approaching. The current rate of progress really is not going to achieve what we need except, say, in about 50 years' time. That's not acceptable. Unless other initiatives can be found, then quotas may well end up being the only answer. I think that they are a bit of a double-edged sword. They can mean that women are seen as being there just because they're women rather than actually being there on their merits. So if quotas were introduced, I think it has to be as part of a suite of different initiatives in order to promote women. Roseanne Hardin, who is studying at Massey University, says her analysis of board networks also supports the introduction of quotas. Quotas are a political debate, but up until now we've had no scientific evidence to support them or a way of tracking them. So my research suggests that if we want equity on boards, we're only really going to achieve this with quotas. If not, we'll stick at around the 80-20 ratio or 90-10 ratio of men to women. That That's the, norm, the normative way these networks evolve, particularly where you do have um, shoulder tapping. Australia has signalled it wants an improvement, but it hasn't yet gone down the road of quotas. Its Stock Exchange's Corporate Governance Council has ruled that from June next year, all listed companies will have to disclose in their annual reports whether they're meeting the gender targets set by their board. Companies will also have to reveal the number of women employed in the organisation, in senior management and on boards. The chairperson of the Australian lobby group Women on Boards, Ruth Med, says even though the rules aren't yet in force, 44 women have been made directors of listed companies so far this year, compared with 10 last year. It was 
absolutely necessary that some soft regulation came along to force companies to explain what their diversity policy for their board is and if they didn't have one, to explain why not. So that's really the shift that's caused companies that otherwise would probably not have bothered to re-evaluate their circumstances. Ruth Mead hopes 40% of Australian company directors will be female by 2015 and says quotas will be the next logical step if that's not achieved. She believes New Zealand should seriously consider adopting the reporting requirements. But that change doesn't appear to be on the horizon. Talking to me before she stepped down as the Minister of Women's Affairs, Pansy Wong described the current rate of gender balance on private company boards as appalling and said she had no doubts the economy was missing out. But she would like New Zealand companies to voluntarily take a leaf out of Australia's book, especially firms that are already listed on both the Australian and New Zealand exchanges. Certainly I've seen the uh, uh, New Zealand Stock Exchange uh, chair. My ministry have uh, uh, discussed uh, with them. I hope that uh, they can also voluntarily uh, go down that way. I don't see uh, the need for compulsion because the business case uh, simply is so strong for more women on board. Pansy Wong says she's personally against quotas and is cautiously optimistic New Zealand firms will do the right thing. In the state sector side, I'm happy with us continue to improve on the over 40%. Uh, percent. Uh, personally, I thought with the public uh, listed company, it should not be that difficult for us to break through uh, the 10% threshold and then uh, move upward from there. And what sort of time frame would that be over? Well, I would personally, I would like to see us uh, arriving there in the short term in the next uh, couple of years. Otherwise, uh, I intend uh, to take even more proactive steps to make sure that will happen. But the Equal Employment Opportunities Commissioner, Judy McGregor, says that won't be enough to promote change. I think the Minister's been a fantastic champion for this cause, but I think setting a 10% threshold is derisory. Uh, and if you look at Scandinavian countries that have increased you know, to almost 50% in a short matter of time, New Zealand has to do better than setting the bar at the lowest possible hurdle. Because we're 9.32 now, we'll obviously get to 10% you know, in the next two years, just simply by incremental. But is 10% good enough for New Zealand women? I would say no. Dr McGregor says progress towards better gender representation on corporate boards is glacial, and something has to change. She thinks the stock exchange here should be following Australia's lead, and have companies spell out just how much progress they're making. That would go a long way towards bringing home to companies their own difficulties because many of the top 100 companies, there are 57 top 100 companies without a single woman in their boardroom. Well, you know, they need to wake up. It's 2010. You know, we're past the first decade in the 21st century uh, and women have so much to offer. The New Zealand Stock Exchange, which has no women on its main board, plans to voluntarily report on its own gender targets in its next annual report. The NZX's chief executive, Mark Weldon, says its subsidiary, SmartShares, has women in its boardroom, and he's not afraid of the transparency. My personal view is that an organisation that is heterogeneous and diverse is one that shareholders will value and stakeholders will respect more highly, so that's why we're going to do it. 
But Mr Weldon says he doesn't feel the stock exchange can impose such requirements on other listed firms. There's some things that we're expert in, which are securities laws and technology systems. We're not expert in diversity, so for an organisation that's not expert to put itself in the position of being an expert and tell a whole bunch of others what to do, that always encounters resistance. What I think would be constructive would be if a lot of the groups out there that are more grassroots uh, and represent those firms, so listed companies association, institute of directors, the the Securities Industry Association, the Law Society, uh, a series of community groups that represent a broad range of corporate and other interests, were to assess it and say, hey, we think that there's no pain in this, there's a greater good in it, we're happy to do it, we'd like you to put out some proposals then in terms of a process, uh, that would be something that we'd be more than happy to support. I think if we were to go out there and uh, simply put in rules which we said, uh, you know, swallow this, uh, I think you're going to get people's back up. Judy McGregor, the Equal Employment Opportunities Commissioner, says interest in gender diversity is picking up from community groups and companies themselves but she's worried that's not translating into progress. In 2004, when we first began the census of New Zealand's representation by women on boards in particular, there was very little interest. I remember publishing the first report and it was a deafening silence. And now we publish thousands and thousands of copies because of the interest throughout the country and people are very interested in the figures. However, the figures remain dismal and there hasn't really been the desired remedial action and progress for women in boardrooms. Denise Aldous thinks a piecemeal approach to change may be holding New Zealand back, and a more coherent structure may be needed to push for gender balance in the boardroom. But she warns New Zealand must take a cautious approach, because it's almost impossible to remove a poor performing or bad director from a board unless they're voted off by shareholders. To be a director you really do have to have a lot of skills and experience and you really do have to have wisdom. And I guess what kind of worries me a little bit is that when you go on a drive for uh, something like gender equity on boards or in management, um, that maybe some of these things are forgotten. You've still got to have the experience. It isn't a right that because you're a woman and because you've been in business for a while that you should get onto a board. You have to earn the opportunity. The New Zealand Institute of Directors' William Whitaker hopes the pace of change will quicken. The fact that there are so many players agitating for um, productive you know, and realistic and well-reasoned change hopefully creates that um, you know, snowball effect that as the um, snowball gathers speed rolling down the hill, it'll get bigger and bigger and it'll be much more of a um, power to be reckoned with. Dr Whitaker is optimistic that change will happen but says it's a shared responsibility. That Radio New Zealand Insight programme was written and presented by Naomi Mitchell. Technical production was by Sean Wilson and it was produced by Sue Ingram. More Insight programmes are available to be downloaded from the Insight webpage at radionz.co.nz forward slash insight.